0: Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only I hope someday you will join us in the world Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in to listen to my podcast. Before I begin, I want to start off by mentioning a TED talk I watched titled Arrested Development, Adolescent Development and Juvenile Justice by Elizabeth Kaufman. She began by saying Imagine you're back in high school. Imagine your teachers, your friends. Think of some of the things you were doing. Think of some of the things that you shouldn't have been doing. Prior to beginning my podcast, please take a moment to visualize this as I will be discussing this later. As I reflect on this past semester, 2020, taking juvenile justice, I'm not even exactly sure where to begin. I do remember the first day of class, Professor Reed proposed the question, why are you taking my course? What I can tell you, however, the answer I gave on the first day is drastically different from the answer I will be giving you now. On the first day, I responded by saying that I was always interested in law and the legal system. I am a strategic communications major here at Elon, but learning about law has always been a side passion of mine. I said that I was taking this course to have a breath of fresh air in the sense that my brain would not always be focused on public relations. Now, after a semester long learning from Professor Reed, her personal experiences, countless documentaries, short stories, guest speakers, and a text that was easily laid out and enjoyable, I now no longer want to pursue a future in public relations. I want to pursue a career in law. Prior to starting the course, I was always intrigued by the system, but did not know enough information to make a clear statement about my opinion. I did know that there were faults and much space for improvement, but was unsure of the specific manners to achieve a system that was not broken. In regards to my personal history, I was very fortunate to grow up in an area where delinquency was not extremely prevalent. While I was not informed of the specifics regarding juvenile delinquency, I did not have any negative preconceived notions or bias. That is a primary reason why I took this course. Because juvenile delinquency was not at my front door, so to speak, I wanted to learn from an educational perspective. I was curious. While there were many readings and documentaries that were eye-opening, to say the least, that we watched this semester, one documentary particularly resonated with me, When They See Us. This is a four-episode series that is available to watch on Netflix based on the true stories of the 1980 Central Park Jogger case. If I could summarize it in one word, how this series made me feel, I would use the word disgusted. The audience watches detectives physically, emotionally, and verbally abuse five juveniles. Kevin Richardson, who was 14, Raymond Santana, additionally 14, Antron McRae, who was 15, Yusuf Salam, who was also 15, and Corey Wise, who was 16. These five juveniles were forced to make false confessions and were truly innocent. I I found myself having to turn away from the screen multiple times because watching this brutal, unfortunate reality made me sick to my stomach. Prosecutors and law enforcement certainly have an absurdly large amount of power, which can easily be abused. And that was one of my main takeaways from this class. There was one particular moment in the series that resonated to me, with me to this day, and I want to share that with you. All of the falsely accused boys finally met one another. They looked each other in the eye and apologized for lying about the other's role in the situation. Then, in the beginning of the second episode, it is revealed that the boys were all in juvie together, besides Corey, given that he was 16 at the time, which was not considered a juvenile in the state of New York. He was saying he wishes that he was with the other boys in juvie. Kevin then told Corey that the reason that he got tied up in this as being the quote-unquote raper as the prosecutors abused their power and made him falsely confess after beating him up. And that was the only reason that he was involved in the case. Because he went with his innocent friend Yusuf in the cop car when they were going to interrogate him. I know I've said the word sickening multiple times, but it truly was sickening. To watch these young, innocent, and kind-hearted boys be abused in a variety of ways by the prosecutors and law enforcement. It was this series that made me want to drift away from a career in communications and toward law to fix the broken system. As a strategic communications major, I aspired to be in the media industry. However, after watching When They See Us, my eyes were opened and I am now entirely confident that I do not want to be associated with journalism. Yes, journalists do have a job to obtain information and convey it accurately and efficiently to the media. Nevertheless, in the series, they seem to neglect the emotions and the well-being of the individuals. I do believe that mass forms of media, such as journalism, do commit a massive privacy invasion, especially when dealing with juveniles. It is not fair, and it is not ethical. Where is the privacy? In the first episode, when Corey's mother goes to the precinct to look for him, she heads to a telephone booth to make a call to ensure that he is in the that she is in the right location for her son. Journalists flood into the booth, bombarding her with questions and invading her personal privacy when she repeatedly keeps saying that she does not want to be on camera. When she is worried for the sake of well-being of her juvenile son, she is dealing with the media just trying to cover the story. To be frank, once again, it's sickening and disgusting. As a parent, I couldn't even imagine what she was feeling at that moment in time. I do understand that journalists must do their job, but I wish that there was a way that the media could cover stories in a more sympathetic and genuine way. Despite this documentary, There have been many other aha moments for me throughout the course that have educated me on juvenile delinquency and our broken system. One theory has resonated with me more than others. That is the trajectory theory. Our text defines this theory by stating, There are different types and classes of offenders. There are various trajectories within a delinquent career. In other words, there are subgroups within a population that follow drastically differing developmental trajectories either toward or away a delinquent career. Some kids may begin later and are influenced by like life circumstances. This reveals that there are a numerous number of classifications or offenders. In other words, this developmental theory expresses the perspective that there are multiple independent paths leading to a juvenile career as well as different types or classes of offenders. Yet some may be led toward a delinquent career, while others may be led away from it. As I learned about this theory, I was wondering how these kids can be led away from choosing a path of delinquency. Are we asking the right questions to solve this problem? Please keep this in mind as I move on to my next point. As I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I would be coming back to elaborate on the TED Talk by Elizabeth Kaufman. She explains that, Adolescence is an enormous time of growth and change physically, socially, emotionally, but most importantly, with cognitive development. Kaufman elaborates by saying that there's a large gap between intellectual ability and psychosocial development that is not brought together until one is in their late twenties, sometimes early thirties. This is a critical factor to keep in mind. Additionally, she explained that a lot of research focuses on what gets kids into crime, or why they commit crime, but she wants to focus on what gets kids out of crime, and this is the right question that we should be asking. Kaufman conducted research. With over 1,300 serious felony offenders, the research followed kids for seven years. The goal of the research was to determine if the kids that most of the policies and practices of our country are based on are relevant. In other words, do these kids stop offending? The research revealed that one third of these kids aged 14 to 20 offended during their adolescence and never again engaged in criminal behavior. 16% of these kids continued to offend at low levels while only 9% persisted in criminal activity nine percent out of 1,300 kids is a small percentage yet it's about proposing the right question how did they stop offending the reason every one of the kids developed impulse control the ability to think long term and about self-regulation the only group of kids that didn't were the nine percent that continued to offend This helps us understand that most kids, even when they do some very serious or dangerous things, will grow up and out of crime. There is no question, children do need to be held accountable, but it's how you hold them accountable. And the way that the US justice system is doing that right now is not always correct. As Kaufman said, today we can try juveniles as adults in the criminal justice system, But what they can't do is go get a job. They can't go buy a pack of cigarettes or get a cocktail. They certainly can't vote. And rental car agencies have known for years never to rent a car to anyone under the age of 25. These are important because we think about kids. We need to think about a justice system that takes science in particular into development into account. Because at the end of the day, kids are not miniature adults and should not be treated as such. Take a second to reflect back on the introduction of my podcast. Did you think and visualize an example of your behavior from your adolescence that you're not proud of? I sure did. Do you think that that decision should change the rest of your life? No, it shouldn't. With that being said, I'm not sure of how to combat the problem of juvenile delinquency on a wide scale. But one of the first steps that I believe is critical is to look from a different perspective, an understanding perspective that is based on science. We need to make a change and we can do better. Furthermore, the most effective way to prevent juvenile delinquency has indisputably been to assist children and their families from early on. Through resources such as education, recreation, community involvement, parent-child interaction training programs, and bullying prevention programs, we have an opportunity to create a positive breakthrough. Through early intervention, there is the ability to prevent the onset of delinquent behavior and support the development of a youth's assets and resilience. A very important resource to reference going forward is the youth.gov program directory which provides up-to-date information for effective programs that addresses risk and protective factors related to juvenile delinquency and prevention. More, these programs have been rigorously reviewed based on their conceptual framework and whether or not the program was implemented as it was intended. In addition, research has additionally demonstrated that delinquency prevention programs are a very good financial investment. After taking this course, I aspire to be like Elizabeth Kaufman and unlike prosecutor Linda Fairstein from the Central Park Five. I see this future for myself. I see myself fighting and researching for a more just, kind and understanding system. While I'm unable to speak on the behalf of others, from being extremely uneducated about our system to finally understanding the way it works by taking this class, I'm committed to making a positive difference. Throughout taking this course, a light was sparked within me, and I know the next step for me is getting involved, raising my voice, doing my research, being educated, and fighting for justice and ethical treatment for all. The last big takeaway I have learned from this course is that each individual has the ability to make a greater difference for the masses? The Annie E. Casey Foundation is a foundation that is composed of ardent individuals advocating for change in juvenile justice. The foundation works directly with the public jurisdiction to implement juvenile justice reforms that actually improve the well being of young people in the system. I have subscribed to the website for notifications and will be notified when an internship position becomes available. I hope that I have the opportunity to build a brighter future for children, for their families, and for the greater community that are so desperately in need of positive change. Thank you for a wonderful semester, Professor Reed. Your course has not only changed my life, but has changed the course of my life. And I cannot wait to make a difference. Thank you.